0: Hello and welcome to Employment Practices Solutions, Real Solutions Podcast, Me Too, Sexual Harassment, and How to Be an Effective Bystander. I'm your host, Lisa Dishman. We've been in a cultural moment as it relates to sexual harassment for more than a year now. Allegations surface, headlines ensue, and employers and employees grapple with how to prevent harassment and moreover, how to build respectful workplaces. Employees wonder about their own behavior, and employers are examining their efforts around sexual harassment prevention. Today, we're going to examine the all-important role of the bystander. I'm joined today by my colleague, Stephanie Davis, who has been on the front line addressing these issues within the workplace for more than 20 years, both as an employment attorney prior to joining EPS in 2000 and since her arrival at EPS. She has delivered thousands of training sessions and has investigated hundreds of harassment complaints. Currently, Stephanie leads our organization as its president. She received her B.S. in political science from Barnard College at Columbia University and her Juris Doctorate from the University of Oregon School of Law. Stephanie practiced law in New York and in New Jersey prior to joining EPS. Also joining me today is my colleague, Sean Risby, who is a consultant with EPS. Sean recently authored our white paper, The Critical Role of the Bystander in Me Too Culture. Sean, like all EPS consultants, is a licensed employment attorney. He provides training and investigation services to clients in Chicago and throughout the Midwest. Sean received both his BA and his JD from Cornell. Stephanie, Sean, I'm so glad you're both joining me today.
1: Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for having us.
0: Sean, you wrote, as sexual harassment allegations against prominent figures continue to emerge in this watershed Me Too moment, one question that employees of all types may have is, given that I'm not harassing anyone, what can I do to help ensure that my workplace is free from sexual harassment? And this is precisely what we want to discuss today. So let's start with the legal framework surrounding bystanders to situations where harassing behavior is witnessed. Sean, could you lay out the legal issues around the bystander for our listeners?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to do that, Lisa. So um, just to make it kind of simple for our listeners. Uh, I'd like to start out with the basic principle in American law, which is that a bystander generally doesn't have a duty to intervene. So, when we think about the word bystander, we think of someone who, you know, sees, uh, you know, a car accident or sees, you know, in an extreme case maybe a child who's drowning or something of that sort, and that kind of person when he sees that situation doesn't have any legal duty or obligation to intervene. So, that means that he can't be punished, he can't be civilly liable for not saving that person in the car or saving that baby from drowning, etc. That's what we mean by the lack of a duty to intervene. And generally that also applies to the workplace. So what that means is that in the workplace, if an employee sees someone being harassed, even if that's some sort of physical uh, harassment, there's no federal or state law employment statute that I'm aware of that would require the employee to actually step in and intervene and interrupt that situation. So there's no duty to intervene, both generally in American law and within the context of workplace harassment, specifically. I think it's important to draw a distinction between general intervention and what I'd call a duty-to-report harassment. And that, in my mind, that's also a type of intervention of some sort. But when we talk about the duty-to-report harassment, which, as I said, could be seen as a type of intervention, there we do have some law that indicates that some types of employees do have a duty to intervene or to report that harassment. And here there's a distinction that the law makes between uh, managerial employees and non-managerial. So with managerial employees, as many of our listeners probably know, there's something called the Farragher Alert Affirmative Defense to uh, harassment cases against employers. And what that affirmative defense states That affirmative defense allows employers to avoid liability when their supervisors are involved in the act of harassment. And what the defense states is that if the employer has some sort of robust complaint procedure and if they take steps to rectify the harassment, they may be shielded from liability in some cases, along with another requirement, which I'm not going to get into here. So again, for our purposes, what's important is that the employer has a complaint procedure and that they're taking steps to uh, promptly correct and rectify the harassing behavior. And in this slide, um when I talk about when I when I mention a manager, um, what's important is that a manager here who doesn't report harassment um, that he or she is aware of is, by definition, not falling within the requirement of taking steps to promptly correct harassing behavior. So, in other words, that manager is not helping that employer, you know, u- utilize that affirmative defense because they're not the the employer can't. correct the harassing behavior if the employer is unaware of it and similarly there's case law that says that um, you know an employer's complaint procedure is not effective if it doesn't require a manager who knows of harassment to report the information for example to human resources so to take away from a managerial perspective a uh, manager does have a legal duty to report harassment insofar as they want the employer to benefit from this affirmative defense which you know is, is quite significant in the employment law context. On the other hand, when we talk about non-managerial employees, they don't do not have this duty. So a non-managerial employee who witnesses harassing behavior in the lunchroom, you know, at the uh, in the office, something of that sort, actually has no obligation uh, whatsoever um, to report that harassment to either a manager or to human resources. But that doesn't mean that that person necessarily should not do so. And I think later on in this podcast, we'll try to address some of the reasons why it might be good for that kind of bystander to also either report or to to intervene in some way.
0: We're definitely going to dig into that um, a little bit later in the podcast. Stephanie, we're hearing from our clients very, very often these days that they want to include uh, a portion of the role of the bystander in their training courses. They want to dig into that when they're delivering an anti-harassment training initiative. So, how important is bystander training as part of an overall anti-harassment initiative for an employer? Well, I think it's a crucial part of the equation and it's part of the equation that we've always um, included and incorporated into our, our training, but now we're making it much more explicit. It's more at the forefront of a training initiative. Um, increasingly, we know that oftentimes people who f- witness inappropriate behavior don't act because they, you know, they don't want to get involved, and this often stems from a sense of helplessness that they're 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 not going to have any meaningful impact on the situation. So we need for every member of the Workplace to Community to feel that they are in fact a part of a community that's invested in having a workplace that is respectful and where everyone is, is safe. We also, I think, need for bystanders to understand that, or we need to help them understand that they can have a real impact and that when they take action, they are sending a message to people who are being treated inappropriately, and also to those who are acting inappropriately. So they're sending a message to those who are being treated improperly that they care, and they're sending a message to those who are acting inappropriately that their behavior is not going unnoticed. And just those acknowledgements can have a huge deterrent impact, I think, And and, and the research actually is clear. That this collective responsibility, you know, making, you know, creating a respectful workplace, everybody's responsibility is much more effective. So, therefore, I think is a key component of any effective training initiative. I think we're going to touch on that and expound on that in the next question, which is Sean, in your article, you moved from the legal issues, which you recapped just four steps around bystander intervention to really the ethical and personal considerations and Steph, you indicated organizational considerations about whether a bystander should intervene if they observe harassment. And you lay out the strong case for intervention in spite of there not being a legal um, compulsion to intervene. In your article, Sean, the first obstacle that you noted um, when a, a bystander situation occurs, when someone views um, a harassing situation, is the assumption that someone else will intervene. So tell us about that particular barrier. It seems like a very natural one. Somebody else is going to get involved, I don't need to. To so talk to our listeners about that.
1: Yes, you, you absolutely highlighted the problem correctly, and I think uh, Stephanie uh, actually led into this with her comment about a bystander um, sending a message by the action they take. So so in light of that barrier, um, you know, this, this kind of points back to what's called a collective action problem. So I want to start kind of talking about this by mentioning an example, which is probably known to many of our listeners, if not all, um in the 1960s in New York City there was a, la- a lady by the name of Kitty Genovese who uh was actually murdered uh, as she was entering her uh, apartment complex uh, very late at night when she was returning from work so she was actually approached by a stranger and uh, you know stabbed and you know eventually you know wounded and and, and died um and this was you know major news at the time and it's still somewhat of a well-known story and the reason that it's well known is because there was an investigation done and it turns out that uh, there were around 38 witnesses who either heard this lady's cries or heard some of the uh, violent attack or at least part of it happening and yet they assumed that uh, you know either that they were helpless or that someone else would intervene or that they weren't really sure what was happening and so although 38 people witnessed or at least heard part of this attack they actually didn't didn't intervene so this is a common um, You know, issue that I think happens uh, throughout you know different different aspects of society, and it's kind of the same uh, same phenomenon that's at play when you talk about bystander intervention, which is that people generally assume that somebody else will intervene, or that if they do intervene, it won't have an effect, or they're not sure um, if they should intervene, etc., etc. And to kind of break down that uh, mental barrier in some ways, I think it's important. At least the way I like to look at the issue is to kind of try to distinguish between uh, personal responsibilities and collective responsibilities. And so what I mean by that is uh, a personal responsibility is something that I have a personal duty to do. So, you know, for example, I have a duty to obey traffic laws, to not steal, et cetera. And if I don't do those, then I'm culpable. Whereas a collective duty is something that we have uh, as a collective, as, you know, as society, as, uh, as a collective unit, such as a company or a workplace, and these are duties that we're all responsible for and that means that you know we all have a part to play in doing them or at least some people have a part to play in doing them and if nobody does then we're all on the hook we're all morally culpable and i think that the duty to prevent harassment is definitely of the second category the duty to prevent uh workplace harassment or even harassment that we see on the street it's kind of something that is a collective uh, responsibility so when somebody is being harassed uh, in front of us, that means that somebody uh, somebody definitely has an obligation to step in and intervene. And if nobody does, then we shouldn't be ashamed to say that as a collective, we're all at fault. We all didn't live up to our moral obligations. Um, and the idea, I think, underlying that, as Stephanie pointed out, is that, you know, when we decide not to intervene, when we decide to be silent, that is also a decision. You know, that's also sending a message of some sort, and that's also a conscious action that we are undertaking so you know it's it's fine to assume that you know in a group setting somebody else will intervene if you're you know a kind of shy and reserved person but at some point if there's multiple people and the harassment is ongoing then based on this idea of collective responsibility then it's really on our shoulders to step in right and that goes back to kind of a larger question of what kind of world do I want to inhabit what kind of workplace do I want to work in etc. And it, I think it also points to the fact that because it's a collective action problem, workplace harassment isn't something that can be solved by legislation uh, from the top down, meaning that I think employers uh, recognize that um, executives and the C-suite level has an important role to kind of uh, improving workplace culture, setting workplace policy. But ultimately, workplace culture is something that everybody has a as a role in creating. And because that's the case, You know, we also, by intervening in uh, cases of clear workplace harassment, uh, we're also doing our own part in setting that culture and creating um, a culture that's, uh, you know, hostile to workplace harassment. So I think that, yeah, just to summarize, it goes back to this idea of trying to understand that there's a need for uh, collective responsibility and collective action in some cases. And it's not just about our personal responsibility and to point the blame uh, on ourselves as as a culture and as workplaces, if we uh, we as individuals allow this kind of uh, behavior to to continue in our midst without anyone um, having the gall to step in and to intervene,
0: if I may just jump in for a second on um, and build on what Sean's saying, I couldn't agree more. Everything that Sean said underscores how effective including bystander responsibilities into training. Um, has shown to be, because when we um, naturally focus on um, the legal responsibility of managers to um, intervene in certain situations, as as Sean mentioned, we are essentially or effectively leaving everybody else um, or letting them be off the hook. And so when we when we focus on collective responsibilities and and uh, including everybody in the realm of people who have a responsibility to act in a given situation and not just managers, we're creating an atmosphere where there is collective culpability if there's a problem, as as Sean said. So including that in part of the training has shown to be much more effective um, than allowing some people to maybe take a step back and feel it's not really their purview to to get involved. Well, one of the specific obstacles to that point Stephanie that's often cited by bystanders is the fear of retaliation so let's explore that fear a little bit how might retaliation occur if a bystander does intervene in a situation sure feeling that their their potential intervention is is not going to have a meaningful impact is is part of the problem but also this very real um, fear of retaliation or retribution for interjecting themselves comes into play as well. And this could range from anger, um, you know, hostility on the part of the person behaving badly or others who support that person in the moment or later. It, It could be members of the community shunning or excluding them. It may involve actual, you know, tangible adverse employment action taken against them. So there's a whole range of, of possible retaliatory behaviors. And what can an employer do to mitigate that fear? This is where policy and, and um, sort of the fundamentals of how an organization operates comes into play. What's an employer to do? Well, a few things. First, pr- primarily, I think it's really important for leaders to model the behaviors we're looking for in the first place. So that's that needs to be a premise. And then we need a retaliation policy, of course, and we need that policy to have teeth, meaning if it's violated, there are actual consequences and then beyond that, we need for leaders to clearly communicate that policy and stand by it so that no one is retaliated against for doing the right thing. So we don't just have that policy, but in fact, it's in effect, and you know not retaliating against people for doing the right thing means or would include speaking up about any inappropriate behavior that's happening to anybody and might well involve intervening to stop inappropriate behavior from continuing. And I think, you know, the message should be that our workplace is one where it's safe to speak up, raise concerns and address them. And I I believe that that message should be communicated from the mountaintops, you know, in your policy that is, regularly updated and disseminated, in new hire orientation, in your, you know, general workforce training, really, you know, whenever possible. Well, we know through our work and through statistics that are derived from research that sexual harassment is a pervasive workplace problem. So just to give our listeners a little context, Harassment accounts for a third of the 90,000 charges filed with the EEOC. This was back in 2015. The statistics also show that only one in four victims report harassment, but the EEOC and other experts say that the actual number of incidents is far higher than the official number of complaints would suggest. So clearly, bystanders have an important role to play in a lot of situations. So, Stephanie and Sean, I want to dig into a few common situations in which a bystander may find themselves and have you two sort through how a bystander might or might not intervene. So, the first scenario is you witness a comment or an action between two peers, you're the third party, and no one else is present. So, Stephanie, how might the bystander, the third party who witnesses this comment or action between peers, address the situation? I mean, there are a lot of variables, unknown variables here. So exactly what you do in a particular situation is is obviously going to depend on those variables, which would include, you know, what what was actually said, what the comment was, what the action was, who the parties are, you know, how well you know them whether or not you're a manager, all of that stuff. But putting all of that aside, you might say something along the lines of, hey, you know, I'm pretty sure that that could make someone uncomfortable or that's not cool what you just said or, or did could offend someone or, you know, you know better better than that, knock it off. The point being, you want to address the behavior in a direct but not aggressive way and you know if you feel comfortable, given all of those variables that I mentioned, so that that is an option addressing it clearly, directly, but not uh, in a way that's going to antagonize anyone. Uh, if you feel uncomfortable addressing it that way, an alternative would be to disrupt the situation by you know causing some kind of distraction and then addressing each party privately. Either way, the goal is to stop the behavior. And then to let everyone know, everybody involved know that the behavior is not okay um, and it needs to stop and then to check in with the target of the behavior to see if they're okay. That makes sense. Another scenario, and Sean, I'll start with you on this one, you witness a comment or an action in a large group of peers and perhaps other people, you can tell by their body language or their facial expression that they have heard or are aware of it too, and no one speaks up. The situation passes, business moves on, what is a bystander, what might they do in a situation like that?
1: Sure. And I guess this is, this also mirrors what Stephanie said in the last response, which is that you know a lot of how we respond to these hypotheticals will depend on... You know the severity of the comment or the severity of the action that the harasser engages in, but given that we don't know that um I think in this kind of setting, since you're talking about the group situation, generally the person who the bystander who wants to speak up doesn't have to worry about his or her safety as much just because he knows that there's a group of people that are around um and so he's not likely to get attacked or to be further verbally assaulted by the uh, by the harasser, so with that said, he has a little bit more leeway in terms of how to intervene. So here, you know, if if he wants to do it simultaneously, if the bystander wants to speak simultaneously, or by simultaneously, I mean, if he wants to interject when the harassment's happening, he can say something like, "Hey, knock it off," or uh, you know, perhaps a little bit milder than that. Uh, after the person's done, he can say, "You know, I think that was really uncalled for. That was unnecessary," or even milder than that, he might say something like, uh, "You know, wow, that wasn't that wasn't a very nice thing to say." I right? just to, the goal here would be to put the person who who made the harassing comments on notice that you know number one their their comment was offensive um and number two to let the person who's being harassed uh, feel a sense of support that you know they're not the only ones who uh, are being attacked here and that other people will support them in the situation so again any of those comments I think depending on your temperament and how severe the comment was um would suffice and often when you start You know, I think the hardest thing in these kinds of situations is being the first person to speak up, you know, that takes the most courage. But that that person, once he or she speaks, uh, makes it easier than for a second or third person to kind of back that person up and say, yeah, I agree. You know, that wasn't that wasn't a very nice thing to say or, you know, you shouldn't have said that. So, yeah, I'd say that that person in this situation couldn't kind of interject with with one of those comments, depending on his or her comfort level.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to add. I, I think Sean is is totally right in that safety is is less of a consideration in some ways uh, in a in a larger group. But there at at the same time, I think is more at stake for the actor. So they have more. There are more opportunities, or more. You know, there's more people in front of whom they're potentially going to be. You know, losing face. So I, I think in a larger group, it might um, be even more important to be conscious of tone and to be, you know, clear and direct without sounding aggressive or judgmental. And and definitely, you know, along the lines of what Sean was suggesting. But I think, I think it can be tempting for some of us, some of us to ascribe judgment to the behavior, like, you know, stop it, you're acting sexist or racist or, or whatever. But even if that's accurate it's not going to be productive because it makes people feel defensive naturally. So, I think the best approach is to to generally state that the behavior is causing or could cause discomfort without getting into labels or or judgment. That's a great point. So, let's take this situation then and sort of escalate it a bit. So, you're in that same group of peers, someone's made a harassing comment and a bystander speaks up and says, "That's not cool, um, something to that effect, but that the person who was making the harassing comment sort of snaps back and says, Gives the old Oh, lighten up or or where's your sense of humor? I was just kidding kind of response to the bystander who is intervening. What should happen next, ideally, Sean,
1: yeah, so I think this is somewhat of a more aggressive uh, type of harasser situation that we're talking about now, because now, you know, again, we have a group of of peers and a person has already chimed in and said, you know, kind of, that's not cool, but the harasser then shuts that person up and says, kind of mind your own business, right? You know, and and safety can be both from physical assault or just further verbal assault is also important to keep in mind because you do have a bit more of an aggressive harasser. And if you can see that kind of aggressive demeanor in that person, then, you know, you don't want to further escalate the situation and make it worse than it is by becoming more and more confrontational with the harasser. In this kind of situation, I think that uh, distraction is kind of the ideal uh, method of intervention. And that could be something simple like, you know, guys, we have a limited amount of time. I think we need to get back to our agenda for, for this meeting, for example, or something like you know on another note you know what's everybody doing this weekend uh, anybody doing anything fun right something just completely mild and harmless and you know some experts even say something more drastic like spilling coffee could be you know could be warranted i think that that's probably an extreme case where <laughs> there's something really bad really bad going on but other than that you know anything to kind of distract uh, people from the the tension uh, while not escalating the situation is ideal here um and the goal here would be number one to immediately end the harassment make sure it doesn't continue by changing the topic or just doing something to break up the situation to protect your safety the safety of the others and then as Stephanie has alluded to afterwards you definitely can check in and you should check in with the person who the comments were directed towards you know ask them how they felt about it and whether you know uh, they they'd like to report it to human resources and you may also depending on your relationship with this person want to speak directly to the harasser and tell them that that comment um, you know made certain people uncomfortable for whatever reason it did, and address it that way, but I think you know especially where you have the harasser speaking back and defending himself um, at that point it's not really wise to to escalate it further and and try to confront the person in front of a group of people and make a scene because, as Stephanie said, the person will likely just get more defensive.
0: I would completely agree with Sean and, and add that in a situation like this where the harasser is essentially doubling down on their behavior and doesn't seem that receptive to bystander feedback, I think it makes sense to alert human resources because they should be aware of that and might also have other information about this person that is, is important um, to be mindful of. Let's take a look at another entirely different situation that perhaps is even more intimidating. You're an employee and you see a manager acting inappropriately in a group setting? Stephanie, what are your thoughts there as an employee looking at a manager that's manifesting some harassing behavior? What's the employee to do in that circumstance? Well, so here a man- we've got a manager acting inappropriately. Obviously, that's very problematic. And I think, again, it really depends on your personal role. If you're a fellow manager, you might have some comfort intervening in one of the ways we already talked about by know, directly but not aggressively stating that the behavior is making or could make people uncomfortable and needs to cease or by disrupting the situation. Um, Sean gave some examples of that and addressing people individually. If you're not a manager, you might not feel empowered to intervene, understandably. And in that case, at a minimum, you should seek assistance from human resources.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to add to that as well, Lisa, that I think, you know, in this kind of case, I think it's important to encourage employees to report this kind of harassment. Although, again, as we've noted, they don't have, you know, uh, non-managerial employees wouldn't have a duty to do so. But for for the purposes of protecting the company, uh, if there is a bad apple amongst the managers, uh, it's important for human resources to be aware of that and uh, to take steps to protect themselves because of vicarious employer liability you know it's good for employees to be able to report um, a manager who's who's crossing the line um and another thing that the employees in a group setting might do here is instead of uh, you know interrupting the manager and maybe saying something to that person directly which can be intimidating um i would encourage them to check in with each other after the meeting and just touch base and say uh, make sure they all heard the same comments see if other people found it offensive or if there was some subtext that they they might have missed some sort of uh, context that would have made it more understandable. But if if multiple people have found it uh, harassing then I think that, that makes it an even stronger case for something that should be reported to human resources.
0: That's good advice. Let's finish with one probably very common experience where uh, someone comes to you and in conversation, they share that they have been harassed and they're seeking advice just the quiet conversation that can happen in the workplace often. Stephanie, what are your thoughts there? I would say first that if someone has sought you out to discuss a situation where they're feeling harassed, you should recognize that that they trust you and want to be heard by you. So they've they've chosen you for a reason. So I would spend some time just listening to them. We need, I think, to remember that all too often victims of inappropriate behavior, whether or not it's harassment, are are silenced or dismissed. So listen to the person's story. And then hopefully, you know, you work somewhere with a solid anti-harassment policy or a policy that addresses the behaviors that they're talking about. And um, everyone's educated on that policy and you can meaningfully say something like this behavior you're describing is prohibited by our policy and needs to stop and part of our policy is that situations like this will be addressed in xyz manner so it might be that if it's harassment that is being described or potential harassment that is being described that you know that would go to hr other behaviors might be handled in a different way but if it is harassment you could say hey you know HR would be um, the entity to look into this. I can let them know about it, or we can go together and talk to them. But, uh, you know, help them to understand or remind them about the policy. And then, you know, let them know that they can always come to you and you will always listen to what they have to say. Anything to add there, Sean?
1: Yeah, I think just to reiterate what Stephanie said, I think it's important to listen and, th- you know, then to ask the person you know, thank you for kind of sharing um, what can I do to help you, you know, uh, going forward. And then give the give the agency or give the options back to that person who's, who's kind of shared this uh, confidential information with you. And, you know, their options might include something like, um, you know, asking you, you know, the, the listener to kind of report it on their behalf or just accompany them to human resources or even to speak to the harasser on their behalf either on their behalf or just anonymously just to to mention that you know there have been people who have said that certain comments of yours regarding xyz topics have uh, made them uncomfortable and you know I would suggest you know if it's possible for you to try to change your tone or change the way you speak about those things I think that would help people feel more comfortable in the workplace so um there's a lot of different uh options that a person who's who's given this kind of information can undertake but I think they should also they should always do it in conjunction with the person who's, who's sharing the information um, just so that that trust remains there going forward.
0: That's great advice. We have covered a lot of ground. Thank you Stephanie and Sean for fielding all of these questions. It's such important information especially now. Thank you also to our listeners for joining us. You can learn more about EPS and our services at our website EPSprobe.com. That's EPS ros.com. you can listen to this podcast and share it with others in both SoundCloud and in iTunes you can also find us everywhere on social media we'd love to hear your feedback your questions and better understand the employment practices challenge you face in your workplace we hope you'll j- join us on upcoming podcasts, thanks again